Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. It's awesome to be here this morning uh, to hear Pam's story. And we've got story after story after story like that. People coming from a place of darkness, a place of having issues, and then coming in contact with God. And so to the person to the right and to the left of you, I'm going to be totally honest with everybody. We all have issues. Some of us cake that with makeup of our own device. We have our face, our church face that we come in. Everything's great. When our hearts are just broken and hurting inside, right? And so there's people after person after person in this room right now um, that we're all going through that stuff. And so if you're a visitor with us, this is the first time uh, you've been here and you're like, I didn't want to come to church because I don't have everything figured out in life. It's fine. We don't have everything figured out. Guaranteed. Um, And that's just kind of where we're at and who we are. But what we do have in common is we're chasing after God, who we believe does have the answers to all these brokenhearted questions. Um, And we're going to really step into that idea today. What does it look like when life is messy? What does it look like when we are discombobulated, to use a fun word? What does it look like when we are just kind of disappointed with life? We're disappointed with where we're at. We're we're frustrated with what's going on. How does God play into that? And how do we step into it? What what do we do with that? Because there comes this question and this moment in life in which we we come in contact with God, or maybe we're just kind of living life, but we either get frustrated with God and run away from him, or we get frustrated with God and we push closer to him. And the, the answer and the way we normally operate in life is really, you hurt me, or I, you, I perceive that you hurt me, or you frustrated me, and I'm going to run the other way. Uh, God, I prayed to you that one time, like the Hallmark movie, and you didn't rescue me like I wanted you to. You didn't give me the job that I wanted. I didn't get the raise. My, they still left, or they still hurt me, and I, and I prayed that one time, and you, you should have fixed it all and made it all okay, right? That, that's how it is in the movies, and that's how it is in our own lives, and I would be lying to you if I wouldn't say I'm not guilty of that sometimes as well. Like, God, why? This is the easy problem. I, I got the solution. I just need you to, to, to fix it. Right, like A plus B equals God happens and everything's happy and good and everything's good from now on. And so when that doesn't happen, we get really frustrated with God. And What does that look like for us and how do we deal with those issues? Well, I want to bring a truth to you today um, that's kind of hard to swallow, but I think once we start having this kind of perspective on our relationship with God and how God works, it kind of helps us deal with these Uh, disorienting and these frustrating moments that are just messy. Okay. And it's this God does not promise easy. God does not promise easy all through the scripture. He does not promise easy. You look at the heroes of the old Testament, their lives are messier than yours and eyes would ever dream to be. They've got more roadblocks, issues, and stuff going on. They got people sleeping with other people, and they got people killing other people, and weird things happening all the time. But these are God's chosen people. These are the guy. These are the heroes we're supposed to look up to, and their lives are mess. God does not promise easy. What He does promise is He will never leave you. 
And that is the truth that we have to cling to, that God will never leave us. He will be, walk with us through the circumstances of life. There is a famous verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I've, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have plans for you, plans to prosper, and plans for you to grow. And I'm paraphrasing that, but that is this verse that people will slap on everything. I used to work at, Christ, at Family Christian Bookstore. We had Jeremiah 29, 11 ducks, right? Like, what does ducks have anything to do with Jeremiah 29, 11? I don't know, but if you put it on a chicken and put it in your kitchen, apparently the kitchen's blessed and lasagna will taste better. I don't know what all has to do with anything, but you can, you can slap that verse on anything. You're like, oh, well, my house is, everything's going to be great. We're never going to miss a mortgage payment. My husband's always going to have his job. My kids will never act stupid, and everything will be good to go. Wrong. God does not promise easy. He promises that he will never leave us. And we have this fundamental problem that when problems happen in our life, when stuff happens, when we lose that job, and that person does something to this, and that we feel betrayed in this way, or that happens, all the different stories you can fill in the blank in your own life, but we're like, well, God must be broken. I'm done. He doesn't promise easy. He promises he'll never leave you. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, the context of that verse is a, it changed the way in which I look at that verse when I actually understood it. When it became not something that was plastered on a chicken to put on to your, in your kitchen, when it became something that I needed to internalize, it was this. Jeremiah is speaking the words of God in that moment to a people who are being crushed and being sold into slavery. Other than 1940s Germany in the Holocaust of Jews, there is not a worse time in, to be a Jewish person than when Jeremiah 29, 11 is written. Think about that. Think about that. They are being crushed by two different empires on two different sides are just stealing the people and taking them. Anybody that's anybody is gone. And the word from the Lord is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I know life is terrible. I know life is stuff. It's got stuff going all in it. I know you're broken. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You still are my chosen person. I still have plans for you to prosper you and to have you grow. Like that, that is what he's speaking into that moment. Now there's all kinds of stuff. Now you're like, well, if he loves them so much, why in the world are they being sold into slavery? Because they were whole kinds of stupid. If you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it's just stupid story after stupid story after stupid story of how they got uh, their self in trouble and how they cheated on God, basically, and how they kept on making wrong choices and how they kept on getting farther and farther away from God. There were ramifications for their stupid acts. But God's promise was, I'm never going to leave you. I'm still here with you. You're still my chosen person. And so even though we do compromised things, even though World War III happened in the car on the way to church today, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. One of my favorite guys in the Bible, a guy named David. You may be familiar with him. He has this story and actually has the kind of the blueprint of how we should act when things get messy in our life. And so I, um, I want to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 34. 
Psalm chapter 34. Psalm is one of the biggest books in the Bible, if not the biggest. It's 150 chapters. If you take your Bible and you open it up, and there's Bibles all in front of your uh, seats, if you'd like to join with us, feel free. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those with you. You are not stealing. It is a gift. Welcome. Now, if you have 18 Bibles at home, all collecting dust, don't take my Bible to collect dust at your, um, at your house. It's okay. But if you need one, take it. There you go. All right. Um, if you open the Bible in the middle, Psalms is right there. Psalm 34. Put your finger in that. To the left of that, towards the front of the Bible, is another book called 1 Samuel. If you are able, go ahead and switch, uh, flip to 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you are a teenager and you're like, what is going on in the Bible? The Bible bores me. I don't know what's going on. Especially teenage boy. 1 Samuel is the coolest book in the Bible. It is my favorite. It is like gladiator on Bible terms, right? There's heads being chopped off. There's people rescuing people. There's night operations where people are sneaking into camps and slitting people's throats and all this stuff. Yes, I know we're at church and we're talking about that stuff, but it's cool for teenagers to you know get involved in the Bible. Um, so that's um, that's what happens. It's in the scripture. That's what's going on. There's a reason for all of that. Um, but that's what happens in First Samuel. And that's when I was 13 and 14 uh, years old. I would read First and Second Samuel over and over and over again. And that's what started my love affair with the scripture. Now I read the, the parts of how to organize my life, and you know, a little more, a little better for me. But uh, uh, so, but First and Second Samuel is a great place to be. And what we learn in First First and Second Samuel is the story of King David. And what you get in Psalms is actually the prayer journal of King David. So uh, for me, it's really easy for me to look at these guys in the scripture and be like, yeah, they're a guy that lived a long time ago and blah, 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 blah. And I have no heart connection with them, right? Well, David, if you read Psalms, you're reading his heart cry. These are the poems and the prayers that he wrote when he was being chased around the desert uh, by King Saul or some other random person who wanted to kill him. He spends a lot of time running away for his life. You know, one of his sons wants to kill him. That's a very exciting story. Um, All kinds of stuff going on there. But over and over again in Psalms, we get to read his prayer journal. We get a glimpse at his heart. And in this rare occasion in Psalm 34 and 1 Samuel 21, they are, you've, we actually have the documentation that this is what was going on, um, what, what, what David was writing when 1 Samuel 21 was happening. So this terrible thing is happening, and we get to read what's on his mind, right? You, you see, so that'd be like reading someone's journal as they were going through a divorce, or reading someone's journal as a loved one passed away, or reading someone's journal when, and when something big was happening. You guys tracking me with this? And this is what we get to see in his heart. Now, this is beautiful and wonderful that we get that opportunity to see that. So uh, we're seeing in 1 Samuel 21, 13, uh, what is going on here in, in David's life? So he pretended to be, this is David, uh, the anointed one of God, the giant slayer, the killer of thousands, the, the, uh, the savior of Israel, the greatest warrior Israel's ever known. This is him. So David pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why are you bringing him to me? That's what I want in a house guest, right? Invite Bud over and Bud. <laughs> now, I've had some of your kids chip some paint off the walls, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, 
But what he's doing, he's just, he's, what is going on in King David's mind is Saul is trying to kill him. His king has been throwing spears at him at dinner parties. That's a fun trick, right? But that's what's been going on. And so David says, um, I don't feel like I feel safe in this place, and I'm going to run away. And so he runs away. Well, he runs away, and the army's chasing him, wanting to kill him. And so now he goes, hmm, i got to find a safe place. And the safest place David can find is King Achish's court. He, just a couple chapters before, was whooping King Achish's army. So what he's doing is he's running to the enemy of my enemy, and that's where I'll be safe. Right? This is King David. He's been anointed. Samuel came and found him and said, you are the man who's going to be the next king of Israel, pours oil on his head and says, you, in front of his whole family, you're going to be the next king. This is the David who takes up the challenge to, uh, to fight Goliath, this, this huge man, seven to eight feet tall man, dressed out in the best battle armament that mankind can make at the time. He basically, his spear was a, a ancient cruise missile, right? And he fights him with a slingshot, basically. <laughs> Ding! Knocks him down. That's David. This, this is a guy. He is acting like a madman. <laughs> Sorry for the sound effects, but that's... that's that's what you get when you come to short church. God, um, and that's what he's doing. What could lead up? What could, what could happen in your life so much that that is where we find this king? And what could possibly go on, be going on through his brain? Um, for David, this moment and this time is a moment and an opportunity to grow. Disorientation, this messiness provides the opportunity to grow. This disappointment leverages that moment. It, it brings it into clarity and focus. And when we have these um, disappointed moments, these dysfunctional moments, when we have these moments that throw us out of whack, they are an opportunity that can be leveraged for us to, be, to grow. Now, often, instead of growing, we go whine. That's, I mean, come on, let's be real here, right? Like, we, we come up to these moments and we're like, eh. And we act like we stubbed our toe or whatever. And, and it could be serious and it could be little, but it can be from job to marriage to kids to, you know, the little things. Your football game's not on today. Wh- whatever it is, or, oh, it's actually sunny and hot outside. Woe is us. The block party's ruined. Like, are you kidding me? It's not a tornado. Hey, we're good. Okay, so <laughs> uh, we, we, ha- we have all this, these, these moments, these hiccups are opportunities to Grow. How does David, um, where is David's mindset at this time? The first one is this. David is disappointed. David is disappointed. Now, I think we can identify with David in this moment. Remember, he is the one who's supposed to be the next king. He knows this. He's not going around and talking about it all the time because that's a good way to start a civil war and a good way to get killed. But he knows there's his calling on his life. Life is supposed to be better than this. And instead, he's running around his life running around the desert, going to his enemy's court to be safe from his, his father-in-law. Now, you may have some strained you know, family issues, but I'm hoping at Thanksgiving your father-in-law is not throwing spears at your head. If it is so, you know, we can talk in the office later this week. Um, but we have some strategies we can use in that. But <laughs> David is disappointed. The second thing David is is David is lonely. 
David is lonely. Because what comes with him running away from his father-in-law is he's running away from Jonathan, who's his brother-in-law, but it's also his best friend. Like, they are best, best friends. They are so close. They, they, they love each other so much. And there's this beautiful, heartbreaking moment where David knows it's going to be the last time he sees Jonathan. And it's one of these just gut-wrenching moments in the Scripture when you envision two men who love each other and care about each other this much and know that their lives, they can never be friends again. And it's a separation that's just ripping them apart. David is heartbroken that he can't be with his brother-in-law, he can't be with his wife, he can't be with his father-in-law who used to be a pretty big ally and now throwing spears at his head. And everything he knows, all the people that love him, all the people that care about him in the army camp that he's been a hero to for the last couple of years, they're all gone. David is lonely. And sometimes in our dysfunction, our, our disappointment and our mess, we are just lonely. And finally, David is desperate. David is de- desperate. You know you're desperate when you have to run to your enemy to be safe. And you start doing kind of silly things to try to stay safe. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same moment. When we find ourselves in the mess and we find ourselves in the issues that we start doing and acting out of desperation instead of out of remembering that who we are, that we are children of God, that God loves us and will never leave us and will never forsake us. So David starts acting desperate. He starts trusting in this other king. And that doesn't last very long. He gets there and he's like, this was a bad idea. This, this is a bad idea. And so he, he leaves King Achish's uh, court. But what he does then is he's still being chased by Saul. He's still being chased by Saul, and he goes to a place um, where the sword of Goliath is kept. And in that moment, and in, in, in where he's at this, this time in the court of King Achish and, and kind of on the move here, he writes Psalm 34. And it's a beautiful psalm. I, I would encourage you to read the whole thing. I just picked out two verses here. Um, that kind of encapsulate the whole thing of the Psalms. Um, but but this, is, uh, this is what he says. Verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Here he is, the definition of being brokenhearted, the definition of having his spirit crushed. And he is even claiming in his prayer journal at this time, the Lord is close to me. He is walking with me through this. He is still with me. He has not given up on me. He has not abandoned me. And to be honest, sometimes when I go through those things, I feel like, God, where you at? Dropped the ball on that one, didn't you? Right? And those are the reactions. And God's like, I didn't put you in that situation. Okay. Um, I was just love to be able to understand what he's going, that's what you took from that one, huh? But we blame God because we don't want to take responsibility for ourselves. A lot of the stuff that David is doing, it's not his fault. David wasn't picking a fight with Saul. He wasn't being disobedient. He wasn't being a cocky little jerk like some of our other Bible characters that find themselves in places. He's... He's just doing life. He's trying to be the best, uh, best person he can be. And all of a sudden, jealousy happens on Saul's end. He's innocent of these things. 
And sometimes we find ourselves in these places, in these messes, in these frustrations. And what we need to hear, we need to have our heart cry be, how can our heart cry be in a place that David's is? Lord, you're close to the brokenhearted. And you save those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe that becomes our prayer. God, I know you want, you're going to be close to my broken heart. Will you save my crushed spirit? Right? Because that's where we find ourselves sometimes. But David, in the middle of all this junk, in all this mess, all the allegations, people chasing him around deserts, having to act like a crazy guy to stay safe, his prayer, his heart cry is this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So what does David do? How does David give us a blueprint on how we should act when we're dealing with messes? These are uh, pretty, pretty um, just, they, they come straight from the scripture out of uh, 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And uh, if we follow this blueprint, I'm not going to say it's going to fix all of our problems all the time, but I just, the frame of mind that David goes through through this can really help us figure out how do we stay uh, close to God and not start blaming God. Okay, the first is this. When we are disappointed, return to previous victories. When we are disappointed, return to previous victories. What do I mean by that? David, in, in chapter 22, 1 Samuel 22, I believe. Yep. Um, he, there's just that story I was just telling you. He comes up to the shrine in, Ga- in Gath, and he comes up, and he's like, Hey, um, so I'm on a special mission from the king. Not saying, he's throwing spears at my head, so I really needed to run away. I'm, I'm on a special mission, and what I need you to do, do you have any bread I could eat? And he's like, well, yeah. And so he gives him some bread, and the priest does. And he's like, do you have any weapons by chance? I had to go so fast on this special mission that I forgot my sword. So, oopsie. Um, and it's right in there. You read it on yourself. Um, he doesn't say oopsie, but, it's, you know, anyway. Um, they go on, and he says, yeah, you can have Goliath's sword. It's yours. I mean, you killed the guy, so why not you have the sword? And so David takes the sword. I wonder how big this thing is. It's like David looking like a, he's got this huge, like, brave heart thing, and he's like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, but he's got this sword. Now think about that. Think about that. He's given Goliath's sword. What an amazing reminder of how God has been faithful. Here he is as a, probably a 15, 16-year-old kid taking on the greatest warrior of his age with a stinking cruise missile attached to his arm, and he goes with a little rock and bing! So what, what he does and how he gets the sword is he bings Goliath in the head. He runs over, takes the Goliath's sword out of his scabbard and goes, Hah! chops off his head and says, Woo, I won, as only a 16, 17-year-old boy can do, right? Hey, look, look what I did, Mom. Mm, put that back. Uh, so... <laughs> That's, that's, what, that's how that goes, right? We don't hear that part in Sunday school. We just hear about the, uh, the slingshot part, right? You don't hear it, but right, anyway, it's in there. Um, but think about it. Every time he touches the hilt of that sword, remember how God was faithful in this crazy victory. Every time he pulls it, every time he takes a whetstone, he remembers how God got him through this huge fight. Every time. He, he gets annoyed that it hits him in his lip, uh, hip. It gets caught on a rock. <clears throat> Stinking... Oh, yeah, God was with me. Same thing needs to happen for us, is we need to remember when God has been faithful in our past. And sometimes that's really hard to remember because we're caught up in the mess. We're caught up in the hurt. We're caught up in the junk. Um, I would urge you, if you don't do this, to start doing this. Keep a prayer journal. Write your own psalm book. 
You know, no one has to ever read it, but if you, well, I have, uh, I found a journal um, of what I kept um, in college, and which is really funny because I'm a terrible journal writer. Okay, terrible. I'm a once a three monther journal writer. That's that's very average for me. Um, I only write things when things are really bad. Uh, you know, when I'm really cranky is what then I go in the journal. Full disclosure. But I found the one for my college, and apparently something was going on between Kelly and I. And I was whining about how terrible Kelly was in this journal entry. So I've since burned it, so there's no... Um, <laughs> and it's in there. And I was just laughing at myself about how God had and how we as a couple had come so far from whatever stupid little argument we were at as 20-year-olds. Right? And just to think about the look back that on how our relationship has changed and how God has, has blessed our marriage and how we have changed as people and how we love each other now, like, I, I would have forgotten all about that if I had not written that down in a prayer journal. So I want to I encourage you to do that. Um, but also, maybe you need to, to talk to a, a good friend. A good friend will say, well, do you remember, instead of whining with you and gossiping with you, a good friend will say, you remember when God was faithful five years ago? You remember when God got you through that time? That's what a good friend will do. So let's all be those kind of people. But you remember when God, you return back to previous victories when God was faithful with you, when he walked with you through that stuff. Second thing David does is he finds a safe place. David finds a safe place. When we are lonely, we need to find a safe place. Uh, Too often, we, when we feel lonely, we drive ourselves, we try to force relationship to happen, and we find ourselves in relationships that don't need to happen, i.e. King of Achish and having to act insane in the the courtroom. Um, But when we are lonely, we need to find a safe place. David finds a safe place. He retreats back into a spring-fed cave, and uh, what's going on here for a visual is he's in the middle, you're in the middle of the desert, you know. Uh, middle of the desert, just think Grand Canyon type stuff because that's what Israel pretty much looks like. And in one of the crevices of the rock is a, a spring. And so David finds this place and all the wildlife around there are drawn to that area. And so he's being fed by nature itself and uh, overlooking the Dead Sea. And so you've got this just it's 120 degrees outside, and he's got the only spring within miles. And that's where David finds himself. And people start to come towards him. His family starts to come towards him. People start to be drawn to him. The Bible says this in chapter 22, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So what's happening in the middle of all the, of his loneliness, his hurt, God is providing people to come around him. His family is sent to him. And he starts to build. Actually, these 400 men that are, start to coalesce are going to be his guerrilla strike force that uh, protect Israel for the next few years and become a core of, of people that will help him when he be, actually becomes king. And so when we're lonely, we need to find a safe place. We force the issue sometimes. We try to force relationship. We try to force uh, things to happen, and they're not safe places. How many bad relationships have we gotten into because we were hurt by the last relationship? Find a safe place. And finally, what David does is when we are broken, slow down, slow down, not shut down. When we are broken, slow down, 
not shut down. See, David finds the cave, and he could have stayed there for a long time, but he realizes that this isn't the place that we need to be. This is not what God has called us to. This is not where we're supposed to rise into. And so what he does is he coalesces his power there. He kinda, they kinda, everyone kind of gets, gets healed a little bit, and then they start moving out and doing what God has for them, start protecting the nation of Israel their own way. They're like, you know what? i got a calling in my life to, to protect uh, Israel and to push out the Philistines and to, and to do this stuff. Salt, you do your, you, buddy. You can chase me if you want, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And so he's, he slows down. I don't know about you, but if I'm angry and hurt and broken, I'm like a cat in a corner, and it's yeah, and just want to attack. You know, and, and verbally, I want to do that. Maybe even physically, I just like, yeah, and you want to attack. I want to get back at it. I want to get even with. And David, instead of going, all right, I got 400 men. I got this elite strike force. We're going to go. We're going to do a little night operations. We're going to go in there and take out Saul. I'm going to be king. Hoorah, let's do this. He does the exact opposite. When given the opportunity to hurt Saul, to kill Saul, he says, I'm not going to do that. He slows down, not shuts down. Also, the converse of that is sometimes when bad things are happening, we're just like, where's my pillow? Where's my couch? I'm sitting here and I'm binge watching Netflix for the next 86 hours. That's, that's a little too slow. Um, let's speed it up a little bit, all right? When we are broken, slow down, not shut down. Psalm 34, 17 to 19. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. This is David's prayer and his heart cry and his hope when he's going through the worst time of his life. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what stuff you're dealing with. I don't know um, who's hurt, who's sick, who's hurt you, who's abandoned you. I know stuff has happened because I look out and I know a lot of stories in this room. There's stuff. There's things. But this truth is God will never, ever, ever leave you. He doesn't promise it's going to be easy, but he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. This morning as we think about our life, we think about maybe the mess that we're in right now and the frustrations we have right now. How do we take this Davidic plan to our life? Do we need to slow down? Do we need to get step back and find a safe place? Do we just need to remember how God has been faithful in our past? Who he's put in our life? Who can we be thankful for? I want to pray this morning. I want to pray that we would come into contact with God. That we would find God wherever we're at, no matter what we're in, doing, whatever crazy situations we find ourselves in. That God would, would make himself plain to us. That we'd feel his presence. So why don't you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. God, I know there's people in this room that are maybe thinking about you for the first time in a long, long time. Some of us have been struggling with the feeling that you left us and that you abandoned us and you walked away from us. So, Lord, in this moment, as we sing this next song or as we just pray to you, maybe for the very first time in a long time, I want to feel your presence. I want to grab a hold of the truth that you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. 
that I am your child. God, I've made all kinds of mistakes in my past. I've done all kinds of really dumb things. And in this moment, God, in this time, I ask for your forgiveness. Will you remake me and give me a fresh start? Will you forgive me of all this junk in my past and let me be the person that you have made me to be? I know that each and every person in this room has a unique way in which you have crafted them and created them. You have a unique calling on their life. They have so many different gifts to to bring to this earth, to their culture, to their community, to their city, to their family. God, when things get hard, when we feel that desperation, when we feel that disorientation, when we feel that mess, that we will cling to you, that you draw near to the brokenhearted, that you save the crushed in spirit. God, we claim that promise this morning that we ask you to draw near to our broken hearts to rebuild us and remake us. And in Jesus' holy, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.